Welcome everyone to the Grinded Podcast. Nipsey Hussle is going to bring us in just a little bit with Grinding All My Life. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got the roll of dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look. It's time to hit this rail we call life and grind it. I wanted to do a special podcast on Jeremiah 29 11 because it seems like everywhere I go, everywhere I turn, Jeremiah 29 11 keeps popping up in my face. In Jeremiah 29 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, you know, that sounds really good. And, and, and people use this verse to, to, feel good about themselves and to say, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm trusting God. I know that God has plans for me and he wants to bless me. And the other day, I, I, I just, I don't know, I've just seen it so many times. I've I, I seen it one more time and I asked the person a question. I said, can you tell me what this verse means to you? I mean, what what does it mean? What is What is God's plan for you? And they said, well, I don't know, but I guess it means that God has my best interest in mind. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't know the background behind Jeremiah 29 11, please don't use it because more than likely, most like any other person, you're taking it out of context and trying to use this verse to mean something that it doesn't. Jeremiah 29 11 is one of the most misused verses in the Bible, and I want to tell you why. First of all, Jeremiah 29 11 is written to a nation, not an individual. Israel was God's chosen people in the Old Testament, right? When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Jews keep telling Jesus over and over again. They say, we are the seed of Abraham. Remember when Jesus says, those who the sun sets free is free indeed? And they, the Jews say, what are you talking about? We're no slaves to any man. We're sons of Abraham. Well, Here's what they're saying by this. They're saying we are God's chosen because we come from God's promise to Abraham. And it goes back to a promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 17. And you really need to read that whole chapter. But for time's sake, I want to share with you the first eight verses. Genesis 17, 1-8 says, When Abram, that's Abraham, but before he had his name changed, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and I and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this time, Abram fell face down to the ground. And then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's important. God says, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. 
And so Abraham receives this promise from God that he's going to have a child. And not only is he going to have a child, but he's going to have a multitude of descendants. And here is Abraham, a hundred years old when Isaac is born. But when this promise came to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah laughed, which is where we get the name Isaac, which was the the son of promise that is born to Abraham and Sarah. Isaac means he who laughs. And through Isaac, then, these descendants just start to roll in. And there, there you have a real brief history of the Hebrew people or the nation of Israel. And then let's move on to Moses because the the Hebrew people, if you remember in the Old Testament, they become uh, slaves in Egypt and they cry out for God to deliver them. And God does deliver them using Moses. And if you remember, they come out in the Red Sea parts, you know, and they start marching on. They doubt God, so they have to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. But as Moses was about to lead the Hebrew people, or the nation of Israel, into the land of promise that God had told them about, the land of Canaan. He tells them in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse 6, he says, For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on the earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. So Moses tells the Hebrew people, God, you're special. God has chosen you. Of all the people that he could have chose, Israel, he chose you to be his own special treasure. And then let's move on to King David. You know, David took uh, took over after Saul as the king of Israel. And after David was chosen king over Israel, he says this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. David says, What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and God's little g that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. I will wrap this thought up with this. In Jeremiah 29, 11, the word you is plural, not singular. He is talking to the nation of Israel, the people, not a person. For I know the plans I have for you, that's plural, the nation of Israel, my people, my chosen people, who I handpicked, who I love who I will be your God forever. I know I have for I know I have the plans the plans I have for you. Plural. Plans to prosper you. You the nation of Israel, plural, not singular. And not to harm you, plural, not singular. I will not harm you. Plans to give you, plural, hope and a future. So my first point what well, Jeremiah 29.11 is, this is written to the nation of Israel. A bunch of people, not just one person. Here's the second thing. God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, 
had left the Lord their God. They left their first love. And that's why God sends them prophet after prophet after prophet, warning them, but yet they ignored the warning signs. They didn't listen to the prophets. And they had become very wicked. And I just want to give you just a small idea of how wicked they had become. They were worshiping false gods like Baal and Baal's idols. Even though God had told them, you shall have no other gods before me, little g. They were burning their children as offerings to Moloch, who was a pagan god. Burning their children to a pagan god. And even their priests in the temple had become very wicked. In 2 Kings 21.7, Manasseh, who was the, the king of Israel at that time, in, in, when it, you have to understand, when Israel had kings, some kings were godly kings, and they would lead the people in the ways of God, and then they would have a lot of kings that were just evil, and they, would, they were so wicked, and they would lead the people astray from God. And Manasseh was one of those. And so in 2 Kings 21.7, it says, Manasseh, king of Israel, even made a carved image of Asherah, a pagan god, and set it up in the temple, the very place where the Lord had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. That's, that's crucial, what God just said there. My name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. Here is Manasseh, king of Israel, and he sets up an Asherah pole. Uh, it, it was basically a pole that was used to worship pagan gods, and they would burn incense to these pagan gods. And it's set up in the temple, the temple. You have the tabernacle first, where God would come down in the form of a cloud and fill the tabernacle, right? And they would worship God. And then wherever they traveled to, they would take the tent or the tabernacle with them. And then David comes along as king of Israel, and he wants to build a permanent dwelling place for God. And God says, no, you, you shed blood, so I'm going to let your son Solomon do it. And Solomon builds this ginormous temple where God lived, where the Ark of the Covenant stayed. And the people would come to worship God there. And, 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 and the priests would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And they would make an atonement for the sins of the people. That same temple, Manasseh, king of Israel, put an Asherah in there. So that they could worship pagan gods. You think God was very happy about that? Absolutely not. And here's uh, something pretty cool. Archaeologists have made discoveries that show where the people of Israel had miniature Asherah poles in their homes where they would burn incense to the pagan god. Which is, I think Asherah means king. But you see, even in all this, God had mercy and he showed grace. But the one who gave the promise to Abraham, you're going to have many descendants and I'll be their god forever. Jehovah God, the one true God, decided that he had had enough and he decided to punish his chosen people, Israel. And I want to read to you what happens to the people that God handpicked to be the God over. 
God's very own chosen people, Israel. Second Chronicles chapter 36, 14 through 21. Check this out. Likewise, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord that had been consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. He still does today. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. It sounds real familiar, doesn't it? Verse 17. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. That's Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. Listen to this. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king, he took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, that was used in the temple of God for worship. And the treasures from the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king and his officials. Then, see it gets worse. Then his army burned the temple of of God He tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. And verse 20 says, The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became the servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came into power. And so the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I want to break this down. There's not a whole lot on my body that's not skedak. Just toast. Dink, dank, skedak, biff, banked. You name it, it's on there. As we come back from break, we're breaking down Jeremiah 29.11 and putting it in actual context. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And my first point is... That in Jeremiah 29 11, God is not talking to an individual. He is talking to a plurality of people. When he says you, it's plural in the Hebrew. And he is talking to the people of Israel, the, the very people that he had chosen to be God over. That all started with a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And his Abraham's wife had even laughed at the notion of having this baby. And they have the baby and they name him Isaac. And from the birth of Isaac, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, is birthed. And I shared a verse from 2 Samuel seven twenty three, where David says that God had chosen Israel and that he would be their God forever. And then the second point I was starting to make is how Israel had... Even though they are God's chosen people, they had become very sinful, very wicked, and even to the point to where the priests in the God's very dwelling place, the temple, they had become evil, and they had set up Asherah poles inside the temple so that the people could burn incense to pagan gods, and the people were actually even burning their children to Moloch, a pagan god. That's how wicked they had become. And then I shared 2 Chronicles 36, 14 through 21. 
it shows basically where Israel was wiped, or Jerusalem was wiped off the face of the earth. And so I want to break down Second uh, Chronicles thirty six fourteen through twenty one that we just read before the break. The first thing I want to point out to you is this: Israel, or the nation of the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel. God's very own chosen people, and we're, we're talking about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven here. The I, I, the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Well, Israel watched their loved ones get butchered to death, all ages, male and female, men, women, and children, butchered. The ones that survived, the few, the Bible says that survived were carried back to Babylon to live in Babylonian captivity. We'll come back to this in a few minutes. The second thing I want to point out to you is this. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, he took anything of value out of the temple and carried it back to Babylon, and he would use it to uh, worship his pagan gods. The third thing I want to point out is this. The Babylonian army absolutely destroyed this magnificent temple that Solomon had built for God to reside and for the people to come and worship. The Babylonian army absolutely destroyed the temple. And if you want to see how glorious this temple was, you should read of all the gold and the bronze and the wood that was used to build this temple. And this Babylonian army, God allows to come in and destroy this magnificent temple. And and what they couldn't tear down, they burned. This was the place where God lived. It, It was where the people came for years and years and years to offer their sacrifices to God, to worship Jehovah God. And like I said a while ago, the priest would come in once a year and make atonement for the people's sins. They would offer the sheep. They, they would offer the goats. And they would offer other kind of offerings to God at the temple. But not anymore because it's gone. And the third thing that I want to point out is this. The city of Jerusalem was basically wiped off the face of the earth. Gone. Walls that were so wide you could ride a chariot on top of it. These walls for fortification were torn down, destroyed. Palaces were burned. And anything that was of value was destroyed. I mean, basically wiped off the face of the earth. And like I said, if you survived this massacre, you were taken back to Babylon to live in captivity. Think about this. Everything the people had known, their homes, their families, their jobs, their place of worship, everything that they have known is gone. Gone. Destroyed. And if they survived, they're being carried away into Babylon where they would live in a pagan place with pagan people and they would have to sit around and think about everything that had just happened. And why it happened. No matter how much they prayed, God wasn't listening to them anymore. And He would not rescue them. It was as if He had maybe abandoned them. 
And I'm sure many of them felt like God had abandoned them. And they even blamed God. But in reality, it was their own fault because they were disobedient and they had left God, not the other way around. They left God. God never, ever left them. Remember the promise that he made to Abraham, I will be your God forever and ever. God never left the people of Israel. The people of Israel left God and chased after false gods. Gods that didn't even exist. These pagan gods. And because of their disobedience and because of their sinful ways, God says, I've got to punish you. And that's exactly what he did. And they literally lost everything. Everything they held dear to their heart, they lost. Well, you may be asking, what does this have to do with Jeremiah 29, 11? And that's a great question. Remember, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, what I just shared with you has everything to do with Jeremiah 29, 11. Because God told them, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He told them that when they were already in Babylonian captivity. He had told them that after the fact, after they had watched their babies die, after they had watched their husbands brutally murdered, after they had watched their wives die, after they had watched their grandparents be murdered, after they had lost everything that they loved, God tells them, Jeremiah 29, 11. How do I know? Because Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon. That's past tense. All the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. And he tells them, Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And for and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. It was after they had seen all of this terrible, terrible stuff. Their temples destroyed. They lost their loved ones. Everything that they ever owned. Everything that they worked hard for. Their homes burned to the ground. Their walls of their great city has collapsed. And now they're sitting in Babylon. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar's control. And Babylonian captivity. And they're contemplating what just took place. And they're probably shaking their heads wondering, how could God allow this to happen? Sound familiar? And then God says to his people that are left, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you think, you know, if... if if we're your chosen people, how could this be a part of your plan? This makes no sense to us. How can you say that you don't want to harm us? Look what just happened. We've just lost all of our loved ones. 
and our homes. How is this prospering, God? How is this helping us? What kind of plans do you have for us? How can we think about hope and how can we even think about the future when you just let this happen? And get this. God isn't going to rescue them immediately. I'm sure they're begging to return, to go home, to rebuild immediately. And God says, no. It's not going to happen like that. In fact, he is going to keep them in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years. This means that a lot of those people who went into uh, Babylonian captivity will never see Jerusalem again. They won't live to see God restore Israel to a mighty nation again. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11 isn't a verse to make you feel good about yourself or it's not a verse that you can take out of context so that people will think you're being godly uh, you know, because you're wearing this awesome Christian t-shirt that quotes Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, hey, I'm waiting on the Lord's plans. God is going to bless me. He's got, what, he's got what's good for me in, in mind. It's not a verse for us to take out of context thinking that God is going to prosper us. No, Jeremiah 29, 11 is written to a nation who just lost everything. Everything that they ever knew, everything that they loved, including their families and their whole world, has been turned upside down. It has been changed in a blink of an eye. You want to talk about going through a trial. And even though God just allowed this to happen, He tells them, hey, trust me, I've got plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God didn't deliver them from the trial. He didn't deliver them from the storm. He didn't deliver them from the literal hell that they were going through. But what He did do is allow it to happen but check this out. Even though he allowed it to happen, God shows his people, his chosen people, Israel, that he is still with them. Despite their sin, despite them turning their backs on him and choosing to serve false gods and to worship idols that he had told them clearly not to do, and yet they did it anyway, he chose to show them that He is still with them and He will continue to be with them. And if you read the rest of Jeremiah 29, God tells them if they will be obedient right where they are in Babylon and continue to trust Him, He will restore them again. No, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to happen in 70 years down the road before Cyrus, king of Persia, would even allow Nehemiah to go back and survey the destruction of Jerusalem and to begin to rebuild the walls. That is what's behind Jeremiah 29, 11. It is God showing grace and mercy to His people that probably thought that He had given up on, on them and that He had turned their back on them. But He had made a promise that He would be their God forever. And not one time did God turn His back on Israel. Israel turn their back on God. They chose to live in sin instead of obedience. And God says, okay, I'm going to send you these prophets. You better listen to the prophets. They chose not to listen to the prophets. And since they rejected the prophets' messages, God says, there's no remedy. 
That's what it says in 2 Chronicles 36. There is no remedy. So this is what's got to happen. And that's what God allowed to happen. The Babylonian army came in, Nebuchadnezzar and his people, and they wiped Jerusalem off the face of the earth. And those who survived went back into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. That is the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. And now that you know the context, doesn't it make this verse mean so much more? Because we all face storms. We all face life challenges. We all go through hell on earth, if you will. And we cry out to God asking Him to do something about it. You know, where are you at, God? It seems like God has left us. He, he's not listening to us. Even though I pray, he's, nothing's happening. He's not changing anything. Nothing's happening about my situation. In fact, it may be even, it, it seems like it's getting worse. And when he doesn't deliver us like we think he should, and we feel as though he doesn't care and that he isn't there, but the truth is, he is right beside us the whole time. He is right here. He is right beside you. Through your trials, through your storms, through your hell on earth, through your life challenges. And here's the thing. He allows us to go through the storms. But even though He allows us to go through the storms, just like He was with His chosen people, Israel, if we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now His chosen people through the blood of Jesus. And He tells us as we go through the storm, not that He's going to keep us from the storm, but we go through the storm. And as we go through the storm, He is there by our side telling us the whole time, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it may sound like a joke when God says, I plan not to harm you because you may be going through some tough crap. And you may be facing death head on because of a, a certain sickness or whatever. You may have just lost the most important loved one in your life. You may have just lost your spouse. I don't know what you've been through. God does. And it feels like you're going through literal hell. And it may feel like God is not with you, but I promise you, He is with you. And He has plans for you. And He will prosper you. He will not harm you. And He will give you hope because He is hope. And He is our future. But here's the thing. In the middle of the storm, are you going to choose to trust Him? Are you going to continue to be obedient when it feels like God is nowhere around you? When it seems like He's not even listen, listening to anything that you say? Are you going to trust Him? God will deliver you. No, it may not happen in the next five minutes. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. It may not happen next year. In fact, just like those Israelites, some of those Israelites... You may not even see restoration until you pass from this life into eternity. But will you still choose to follow God? That's what he told the Israelites. He said, y'all need to prosper right where I have you planted because this is in my plan for you. You know, and a matter of fact, speaking of that, do you know what God has in store for you? Do you know what God's plan is for you? No, I'm not talking about what He wants you to do in His kingdom. God's plan for you is a cross. 
We all, if we want to come to God, if we want to, if we want to make it to heaven, the first place we go to is a cross. Just like those children of Israel, the cross is a place of pain and agony. It's a place of death. That's what God has planned for you and for me. Anybody that wants to go to heaven must come to the cross because God is our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Look what happened three days later after the cross. He was resurrected. He stepped out of the tomb victorious over death and hell. He he held the keys to the grave. He held the keys to death and hell. He is our hope. He is our future. And so if you can take anything away from this podcast, take away this. Persevere, my friend. Grind it. Yes, life challenges are going to happen. Yes, storms are going to happen. But as the song says, hold to God's unchanging hand. And you will have victory soon. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Grind It Podcast today. You can send any questions or comments to grinditpodcast at gmail.com. Please join us next time. And when a challenge comes your way, just grind it. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice. Hustle paid the price. Want a slice. Got to roll the dice. That's why all my life. I've been grinding all my life. All my life.